we should really aim at like getting the users from from the centralized exchanges to the decentralized exchanges because yeah like the pie is big enough and we shouldn't really compete with each other on this podcast we've had people who are research analysts vcs crypto hedge funds as well as some prominent crypto twitter institutional style traders so it'd only be right to feature one of the interns in this episode, we speak to the GMX intern, who's actually a bit of an OG in the space, and he's been here since 2017. We unpick his journey with GMX, what's happening with GMX V2, how to be early to a project, how to avoid a lot of uh, psychological bias when trading, and we also talk about taking asymmetric bets and how to identify them. Enjoy the episode with GMX intern. Today I'm delighted to be joined by GMX Intern, who runs the GMX Intern account on Twitter, but is also very well embedded within the GMX community. How are you today, sir? Yeah, man, I'm great. Great to be on. Ah, great to have you here, sir. So maybe we can just dive in and you can tell us a little bit about yourself and how you became the GMX Intern. <laughs> yeah, great. So yeah, I, I basically studied finance and so... During my study, I discovered that our financial system was kind of broken, like unsustainable at best and a scam at worst. So some classmates of mine, they were talking about crypto. So I joined in the, the top of 2017. So while, while studying, I worked 24 hours at a bank. So I saved, saved some money and I invested in crypto and was active on a daily basis, but just with little amount of money. Um, few years few years later you know like 2020 crypto obviously exploded and i decided to go f- full-time crypto basically and a day later the market crashed it was may 2021 but yeah i mean i was heavily motivated and just grinding and actually around the same time like previous irritation of, of gmx was called gmt has actually launched and I was already involved in that. And I was really just like amazed at the quality of, of the platform. And it was the first time for me since like four years in crypto that I've seen a product that actually generated revenue. <laughs> and it sounds crazy, but it was really like unique. And I was like, wow, like people actually willing to pay like fees to, to, to use the platform. But at the same time, GMT had some shortcomings, like especially in the tokenomics part. There were some, yeah, I don't know, like some flaws in the, in the in design. And then at some point, like I think it was June 2021, the team basically proposed GMX and GMX was like, yeah, the next irritation where all the flaws were basically like, yeah, f- fixed. And it was, Launching on Arbitrum, which was not even live back then. And I was just getting really, really excited about it, about the futures of, of layer twos and the future of per platforms and the future of GMX. But not a lot of people were, were familiar with it and not a lot of people were talking about it. So I decided to create GMX intern account basically just to educate people about GMX and, and the tokenomics. Amazing. And so you, you joined the top of the market in 2017. What was it about GMX that piqued your interest in particular? Yeah. So 
like I said, I was really amazed by it actually generating revenue. And yeah, crypto's main use case, I think still is like speculation. And a lot of people just like to use leverage and go long or short on on crypto assets. So it's just the biggest total addressable market, in my opinion. And what I really loved was that it actually, it's just quite an easy to use platform. You know, the design is, is great. It actually generated revenue. And it was also like one of the first projects that actually shared the revenue with the token holders. So instead of like a useless government's token, there's actually some value in it. And that that's what got me the most excited about it. Amazing. And there's different people that sit on the spectrum here. So your view is very much, well, crypto is used for, for speculation and, and therefore you want to be aligned with projects that uh, are kind of well-placed to ride that. What would you say to the people who say that crypto is just speculation? Where do you sit in terms of crypto having some kind of fundamental use case at the same time? Yeah, that's a good question because when I started 2017, like I really believed that crypto could change the world and I was really like, I don't know, I I thought that, that the blockchain will basically like erupt or change like every market and like the, the classic meme of, of Airbnb, but then on the blockchain or like Uber, but then on the blockchain. I really <laughs> believe that, but I don't know, like now, yeah, six years later, like there still isn't really that much going on or we, we are still basically waiting for like the killer app. And I get that it probably will take a lot longer, but we might eventually get there, but yeah, for the meantime, it's it's still mostly speculation on, on prices and stuff that keeps us all here. Very, very true indeed. And you said something at the onset, which I'd love to double click on, which is traditional finance is somewhere between being unsustainable and a scam at worst. What do you mean by that? And do you still see that and hold that view? Yeah, I don't know. Like... If you really dive into like how money works and what money is and like what banks do and how they operate, it's just, yeah, I, I don't know. I don't think it's, it's really healthy or like fair just to say, but yeah, that's more like from ideology, but yeah, I still, I still agree with that. I also, if you look at stuff like inflation and interest rates. Like I get like how it all works and why why we have why we have it, but I don't know. I still think it's like it basically benefits like a small percentage of people the most, mm. and like most people, they I don't know. It's it's worse for them. Makes that makes sense, and I think the genesis of Bitcoin itself was definitely born out of those frustrations. And so I think anyone who's full time in crypto probably has some degree of feeling that we do need an alternative monetary system. I was having an interesting conversation with some crypto people actually this weekend, and they were saying in places like Nigeria, in places like in Africa, in places where there is this relatively high inflation, Turkey, Argentina, etc., it's not necessarily a case that they want to make more money, 
they just lose so much purchasing power by holding their traditional fiat that actually anything which just somewhat retains value, even in a like stable and uh, in a relatively volatile way, it's probably better than just holding cash and assets in their domestic country. And so when you frame it that there's large swathes of the world who the financial system just does not work for, crypto really has this opportunity to provide that alternative and, and with all the kind of tectonic plates that are shifting around the world, it's it's never been more uh, prevalent or important. So I think you're onto something there. I want to talk a little bit about this proliferation of intern accounts that we're seeing everywhere. Who was one of the first ones that ran the intern accounts? And do you see this being like a, a kind of uh, trend that you're seeing right now? Um, what's driving it in your opinion? Yeah, for me, uh, I was just, I, I wanted to start an account and I was really just thinking about a name. And yeah, for me, I thought it was some kind of meme that basically every protocol or like every VC fund has like an intern account. So I was just like, okay, there, there isn't like a GMX intern. So, so I will, I will start an account. But yeah, I, I don't know. I think it's funny. It's also like more like I see myself as people that as a, as a human that's always like learning and always like adapting and like, um, try to be humble and like open-minded for, for new stuff. So that's also like how I think like an intern is like the best, best way to, to symbolize that. Indeed. And we saw it recently with, with people blaming the Cointelegraph intern. So it's definitely being a part of crypto culture, which is just to not take yourself so seriously. And I think that's something that some people find very appealing about the crypto industry. And when you speak to the Trad5 boomers, they hate that. They hate that you can have these intern accounts, which are somewhat glamorized and not serious and etc. But I, I just think it's, it antagonizes them even more, but creates a, a way of bridging the gap between people that don't want to take themselves so seriously. So kudos to you on running that account. Is it fair to say you're full-time crypto these days, or are you still doing other things that keep you busy? Yeah, I have some so small stuff like in real life, but I'm mainly like just full-time crypto. Depends a little bit on like the market and what's going on. So like last days, last weeks are quite, quite busy. Just a lot of trading and just a lot of screen time. Maybe one day I will look for, for a real, real job again. Just, yeah, just, I, I don't necessarily like to be like 12 hours glued to my screen. I don't know, like the, the biggest chance to, to make a considerable amount of money. And yeah, I'm just going for it. Like the, the worst thing that can happen is just that I basically lose it all and I will go look for a job anyway. So your worst case scenario is most people's default situation, which yeah, exactly. <laughs> is a bad place to be in, especially at a uh, relatively tender young age. So. I'd love to learn a little bit more about the GMX ecosystem because you've got an, a non-team, obviously, of, of GMX kind of core contributors who have developed the project. You've then got people like yourself who are kind of adjacent to the project and very actively involved. Tell me a little bit about the inner workings of the GMX ecosystem and how that all kind of works, assuming you know nothing other than you're a user of, of GMX. Yeah, so GMX is like a perpetual exchange, decentralized. So it's a place where you can go long or short on a variety of crypto assets. And so it's all non-custodial, so you can trade directly from your wallet. 
And yeah, it's basically, so it's a place where active traders can, can take directional bets. It's also a place where liquidity providers can, can earn a yield. Obviously there are, there are risks involved. And yeah, then you, then you have the native GMX token. So the first iteration, I mean, it launched September 2021 on Arbitrum. And yeah, Arbitrum, it was like the first day Arbitrum launched. And yeah, I mean, I think we can all say it's been quite successful. Like most of the times it's, it was almost like half of Arbitrum's TVL. I think it's a little bit lower right now. But it really, it basically ignited the real yield narrative. So one of the first protocols that really shared revenue with LPs and, and GMAX stakers. But at the same time, there were some shortcomings to the GMAX design. I don't know. I don't know how much in depth we want to go on this podcast. I'd, I'd um, love to, I'd love to know, like give users some context on GMX, where it came from, what the team kind of structure looks like and, and where you guys are going. And then we can talk into V2 from there. So yeah, feel free to dive into the, that, the things that were yeah. lacking in the first version. So like one of the things was that like on the first, like normally, like if you look at a perpetual market, the, the exchange tries to like to like balance, you know, the, the pools. You don't want to, you want big, long or short positions. You want it like equally balanced to reduce uh, the risk and just so you can earn on like fees. And that's basically the same for, for all exchanges. But on the design of V1, like everybody just paid like borrowing fees. So if she was long or short, like even if 90% of the people were long, you would stay you will st uh, still pay like borrowing fees if you open the short. So there was like no incentive to balance the skew. So that's a problem for like LPs because then like if everybody is short and the market's going down, the LPs will, will lose, will lose a lot. So that's not like preferable. And some other, some other problems was that geo GOP or like GMX V1 in its design was most attractive for like wheels because there was, there was a zero slippage trading. So that means that if you open like a 10 million position, it will probably be cheaper to do it in GMX V1 than on a lot of other places. But if you're like a smaller account and you open like a 10K position, you'll probably be more, it's cheaper probably to do it in, to not, to do it in another place. So like, it's not really competitive, especially for the smaller and, and medium accounts. And like the last thing, it's just, it did lack multiple trading pairs. So I think you had like five or six trading pairs, but they all had to be included in the LP pool. So that, that really made it hard to like, to like expand the, the options there. So yeah, basically these were the shortcomings of V1. And I think like after like six, seven months, the team basically announced that they were working on a V2, which aimed to, to like improve all these shortcomings. And they're doing that through these single asset vaults, right? So the idea is that you'd have like a ETH pool that LP can deposit into. And then if somebody wants to trade long or short ETH, they can trade against just the ETH pool as opposed to like a 
a mixed virtual AMM and the same with Bitcoin or Uniswap or Solana or whatever. One of the exciting things about V2 is there is talk that you guys can spin up these new pools relatively quickly. Could you talk a little bit about about why that is the case and what the broader vision is for GMX V2? I think like Femex, GMX V2 really it's built from first principles. So it's like how you want to build like an exchange that is like immutable and like trustless and permissionless and like from the first principles of like what should a DeFi application be? I think the main question where in the design of Burbdex is it's like it's a lot of talk about capital efficiency but like when you increase the capital efficiency you also increase the risk for for LPs I, I think so mm-hmm. in the design of V2 was really like, okay, we should just isolate the, the risks of every market. So like you said, like every market is like an isolated LP pool and the LP providers, they can choose how much exposure they want, you know, in which pools and, and whatever. And like you said, like it, it's still in, in beta officially. So we are of GMX contributors are like planning to add two markets each each month or a week. I'm not sure. I think each month, but in the end stage, like when, when it's out of beta, probably there will be like permissionless markets. So whenever there is like an Oracle price feed available, people can just basically create a market, like adds liquidity and then trade, trade the assets. The team basically is building the building blocks and other actors in in the space in the arbitrum space they can build on top of gmx v2 exactly exactly the same as, as what happened with gmx v1 so right now there's a vault created by nitro cartel and they they built like a multi gm so it's one vault you can deposit money in it and they will deposit in all the different gmx v2 markets so then essentially you have the same you have the same concept as as v1 but now gmx v2 basically allows people to choose which exposure you want but you can also just join them all basically so i think that's an interesting take and like especially the risks for, for LPs, because in the end, that's the most important thing, right? For like a perp exchange to not go insolvent. So <laughs> that, that's, that's the, because mm. if the risk of being, of going insolvent is really, really big, then it's not sustainable and it's not immutable. And like at some point, probably the exchange will get wrecked, you know, and GMX really tries to, to build a sustainable exchange that will be there also like in 10 years. So, yeah. And and that kind of takes us full circle, right? Because you started off about talking about the traditional finance system being unsustainable. And now GMX is just one example of the trading and liquidity aspect of financial services. And you guys are trying to build it in a much more sustainable manner. Sustainable, but also 
I'd say composable, this idea that other people can come and spin up their own vaults, like a multi-feeder for, for different funds, if you will. And they'll take like a small management fee for doing that. And then also the fact that everything is fully on-chain as well, which appeals to the decentralization maxis amongst us. Can we pivot a little bit here, GMX Intern, and talk a little bit about yourself and your own trading then? Do you do your own trading on GMX and other other venues that do something better that GMX could potentially incorporate over time? Yeah, sure. So I do a lot of things. I mostly am active just on-chain, but also a lot of just spot spots in yeah college shit coins meme coins like whatever I, I trade whatever i think the biggest opportunities are always on chain if you want to be early with projects you have to be on chain so i really do a lot of spot trading there but i also do a lot of perps trading and i use gmx but still it it's i mean it, it has solana and it has xrp but if I want more assets to trade, I mostly use Hyperliquid. It's also a decentralized exchange. And uh, yeah, basically that. I, I never use SX anymore. Also like Binance, like I'm, I'm Dutch and I'm not allowed on Binance anymore. Mm. So uh, yeah. And that's also, that's also the case, I think, from you see a lot of rivalry between perp DEXs. But I think we should really aim at like getting the users from from the centralized exchanges to the, to the decentralized exchanges because yeah, like the pie is big enough and we shouldn't really compete with each other, but just more like with the centralized exchanges. Absolutely. And let's let's talk about that a little bit. So you mentioned Hyperliquid, which has some interesting things in the sense that they can they can have these perp markets up relatively quickly. And I think the HLP model is somewhat interesting, like funding an internal market maker. So two things which GMX can look into over time. And then the SEX has all the issues of, of custody and trust assumptions, but they do benefit from having some centralized components, which means latency is often cheap, lower, and you have a mobile app experience, which is not possible when you're having to sign transactions on MetaMask, etc. Just talking a little bit, my question here at this stage was going to be around around centralized exchanges. What do you think the future looks like there? Because you've got Binance under a bit of pressure. You've got some of these Asian Asian exchanges like BitGet and KuCoin constantly being fudded for, for things that are going on with customer withdrawals and other kind of somewhat shady things. What do you think the future looks like for centralized exchanges and where's the opportunity for DEXs like GMX? Yeah, good question. To be honest, like I always loved Binance and I mean, I'm quite sure that a lot of shady, shady stuff is happening there, but I don't think they are like insolvent or like they are really, I think they are in a good position. That being said, I, I've never used, I never used FTX, but I also I also thought that they were like, like, ah, oh, sure, they they will be fine, but uh, I don't know. Like, I agree. Like, Qcoin, like, I you hear it for years that they are insolvent or whatever, but they are still around. But to be honest, like, just out of safety and also because it isn't necessary anymore, I I never use a centralized exchange because just yeah, there are a lot of good places to. To, to go to, which are decentralized and still like 
over over many markets. And yeah, you just don't have to cut party risk. And your other point, like GMX, for example, they are working on like sub accounts. So I don't know exactly when when it will be live, but that's like an account abstraction layer where you basically like give permission to like a smart wallet to like interact and you can deposit funds on it and then you don't have to sign for, for every transaction anymore. So that's obviously will increase like the user experience and it will also allow for for other builders to maybe build like a Telegram bot, for example, or like a mobile app. That's not like them. That's not what, what they necessarily like aiming for, but it's, it is still like built with the, the composability and the, like it's, it will be possible to build stuff like that. And I think that's, that is necessary, you know, to make the gap smaller in, in regard to the user experience, because in the end of the day, I don't necessarily think that a lot of people will care about decentralization. They just want app that works. Yes. I, and yeah, uh, traders don't, many traders don't is what I would say. Yeah. And I, like I said, I think like the FTX, for example, that's really people a little bit more cautious probably and made them think more about counterparty risks and stuff like that. But it's still, yeah, I'm not sure you, you have to really make the user experience more seamless to get the, to get all the people from the sex to, to the decentralized exchanges. Fair enough. Well, I think, I think I probably agree with you that there are some concerns around Binance, but solvency may not be the number one of those concerns and it can only play into DEX hands over time if there are concerns around centralized venues there. So you say you do a bit of perp trading yourself. What's your kind of strategy and do you stick to the major perps or, or do you tend to explore out a, a bit as well? But first and foremost, what's your kind of strategy for perp trading? Yeah, so I, I've i tried a lot of, a lot of stuff, um, <laughs> but I, yeah, you know, just try, try stuff and, and play around and it's been it's been a long journey. Like I'm now, yeah, in crypto for like six years and I probably like first three years, I didn't really make any money, but I think like last year or something is really, I can now proudly say that I'm a profitable trader, but I mainly just look at price action and use some, some EMAs for, for trend. And I don't know, for me. To be honest, like it really helps to look more at the mental, the mental psychological game of trading instead of like the purely technical, like which indicator should I use or which mm. data I should look at. So it helped me more to like, yeah, like I think mentally be prepared for like volatility and stuff that really helped me to become a better trader. So, yeah. So looking at the psychology of, of markets and I guess buying fear and selling greed, which has always been the the thing that I use as a guiding principle. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And also like to be like mentally prepared to like stomach the volatility. So if you enter a trade and you get immediately get a drawdown, don't, you know, panic or whatever, because that's just normal. That's just trading. And yeah, like what you said, like 
just buy whenever it really looks worse and sell when it looks good. So, yeah. Easier said than done, especially as you're about to enter into a bull market where it's tough to strike the balance between selling too early and then pinching yourself when you never sell and comparing yourself to peak net worth. What's your kind of lessons learned from the past two cycles, given you've been here since 2017, you've seen 2020, 2021? What's your advice to yourself for how to play this next cycle? Yeah, that's a good question. That's a good point because right now I'm I'm in a bit of a bit of the same debate with myself, like whether this is really the start of the new bull run and you should hold on to to your coins. Or to be honest, I I have taken some profits. I think there's always you're never you're never gonna do it perfectly, you know. And I also think that hindsight bias is really counterproductive so it's not helping you with anything so i think there is some kind of sweet spot of like exposure and stables and i think you should constantly balance that where you are like okay if this is basically the top and like everything will go down i'm still happy with with what what i made and i'm also like I have the ammunition to to go back in the market again when whenever like capitulation is there, whenever the fear is there. At the same time, like if the market keeps going on, I will still have a, have enough exposure to be happy with the additional gains I will make, and I will not FOMO in. Uh, yes. Again, so I think there is some kind of sweet spot, and at the same, this is the same. You know, you, you're never gonna do it perfectly, and but. Yeah, it's it's like when I started, I was almost always like 100% allocated. And that is mm-hmm. like one of the worst things to do, I think. And it comes back to the to the mental game. You know, if you have 100% exposure to the market and the market keeps on going down, it would just, yeah, I don't know, it would just not be a fun ride. You would probably like panic sell the bottom. And that's that's like the worst thing to do. I, I really like your advice there. I think there's this tendency in crypto and it manifests as this kind of wagamy culture or like NGMI culture or whatever. Uh, and how that manifests is people just don't have any stablecoin allocation. Now, the way I like to think of trading crypto is you should be somewhat like have a long bias because otherwise, why are you in this industry anyway? And, yeah. you should ha- and you should be in a situation where this is a highly volatile industry. So like... Uh, a 20% down move, 30% down move is part of your model. So why have leverage more than like a certain amount, 3x, 5x for any kind of core holding, unless you're doing some scalping, right? Then then fair enough, like lever up. But having that kind of mindset, I think of it in an options way as well. Like if I want to accumulate upside, I won't just go and do my full stack of like a long option expiry exposure, particular strike at a particular expiry day, right? I'll buy some and then if the price goes my way great i've made money and then maybe i'll add to that position adding to my winners or it could be a case that the market moves against me but it wasn't like i was fully allocated on day one right so i'll just buy another clip if that's what i believe to be true and very few people kind of think like that it's something i've had to learn from 2017 and 2020 because i've been all in at times right and when i've said all in i've been like more than 100 (laughs) percent of my net worth into crypto and then definitely taking some money out of the system and just covering like your basic overheads 
for a prolonged period of time can take a lot of the stress out and those kind of emotional overreaction trading where you know you're like oh shit it's never going to stop going down i'm just going to sell it now and then it rips another 40% in the next week or the same on the way up taking some profit and being okay if the market moves another 2x or 3x because you've still got some skin in the game and you've taken some out and you get to enjoy it right you look at your desk and you're like well i wouldn't have that thing on my desk if i didn't take profit so i don't really care right now yeah exactly and i also think that it's really good to really to convert it into fiat because like my problem used to be that i did take profits but then i don't know looking at a coin or looking at a chart i was like okay just i'm i'm going in again you know with, with the stables right. because it was so easy you know to to convert and it really helped me a lot to just really like put it on fiat on your bank account and that's also the point where you really like realize from it's a real money you know it's just it's it's not just numbers on your screen and, and numbers going up it's actually real money and yeah that's really and it also like when i've like i don't know like 10 20 percent of my portfolio basically in fiat on, on my bank account also gives me more yeah safety or like it also again like mentally like allows me to take on more risk and not panic or stress whenever it's not working out. So Indeed. it just gives you an ease of mind, which is helpful <laughs> when you're trading. For sure. I love the, I love the advice there. So to wrap up every episode, we end with a quick fire round of questions. So if it's okay with you, I'm going to fire those at you now, if that's okay, GMX intern. Yeah, sure thing. Perfect. So the first question is, if you could have dinner with either Vitalik or CC, who would you choose? I would go for uh, Vitalik. I probably won't understand much what he's talking about but i just a fascinating man i think indeed i'd probably agree with you there your stable coins are they in usdc or usdt usdc and what is one of your best trades that you can remember doing yeah i think strictly speaking and like roi or stuff like in the beginning of the year i i bought a 15k market cap and i wrote it all the way to 5 million and i basically exactly sold the top or like not exactly but i i did sell it all and it's now zero again so that's like a three three hundred x realized with with a really small like 200 dollar size but still (laughs) no it's good that's why that's why we're in crypto right for these kind of like exponential returns asymmetrical asymmetrical exactly Uh, which means you do end up losing 90 percent of the time but as long as you can make calculated risks and again to your earlier point never being all in and having a stablecoin stack that you can play around with it's uh it's very good advice and the final question which is an extension to that one of your worst trades ever and what you learned from that experience so that for me was a project called ncr it was some kind of metaverse bullshit project. <laughs> and uh, I don't know, like I was just looking at it and it seemed so good in comparison to the other metaverse shit coins. So, but the price just kept going down and I just kept adding because I thought I was sure that I was doing the right thing. And then in the end, it all appeared to be some kind of 
scam or like I don't know, like the CEO CEO was like blackmailing like people that working there, and I don't know, like the the price tanked like fifty percent overnight, and at that point I realized that it was just a coin trending to zero, and I basically I don't know, like I, I lost a lot of money on that, but I learned me a couple of things, so don't add to your losses. Like mm. I think I had um, about 25 or 30% of my portfolio allocated to that coin in the end. And it was just way, way, way too much. Wow. So I really learned about sizing and risk and that some things like, I don't know, like if the fundamentals and the price like really diverge a lot, that can me can mean two things, you know, that or the fundamentals are actually dog shit and you're just it's it's just fake or scam or you are looking at the opportunity of a lifetime. But this it was in the end just a scam. Well, something you won't be making for this for this cycle, that's for sure. I think I'm really glad that we had this opportunity to chat GMX in turn to learn a little bit more about the kind of characters that are in the space running these intern accounts. Clearly, you have a passion for crypto, a passion for trading crypto, and dedicating a significant amount of your time and capital for GMX is indicative of, of your commitment to the space. It's also great to get some kind of real trading advice from somebody who isn't necessarily a giga whale, but kind of trades the market actively and somebody who's part of the Arbitrum ecosystem and as a project that's building on top of GMX, I look forward to working together over the coming months and years. But for now, thank you so much for joining the Crypto Narratives podcast. Yeah, man. Thanks. It was great to be on. Thank you. The Crypto Narratives podcast hosts conversations with thought leaders in the blockchain industry. Nothing in this episode can be constituted as financial advice nor a solicitation to invest in any of the protocols and tokens mentioned. For more details, please visit the Pair Protocol Discord.